Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Tonight, we're just um, moving on with our finishing off the Sermon on the Mount. So we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount nearly all of last year, mostly, and slowly making our way through that wonderful um, those wonderful passages of scripture that summarize the teaching of Jesus as his way, his way of life. Um, And we're nearly there. Um, This is one of the last passages that we're going to look at before we just flick back to to dive into the Beatitudes because um, we we didn't start with the Beatitudes even though they are what start the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to finish with them, which is great. So this is our last um, little passage to dive into. And it's a fun one, and we're going to talk about it, we're going to talk together about it, we're going to see what God might have to say to us. Um, So I just think maybe before we go on, because I'm feeling a bit scattered after that child experience, Um, and I never quite know if that's just because I'm a mum and I'm on heightened, like, alert, or if everyone feels the same way. So how about we just take a moment to just open our hearts up to God? And welcome his Holy Spirit to speak to us. So I'm just going to give you a couple of moments to do that in your own heart and then I'm, I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, we just say you are welcome to speak to us tonight. Would you reveal the love of the Father to each one of our hearts? Would you encourage us this afternoon? Would you challenge us this afternoon where we might need challenging? That we would become more faithful followers of the Jesus way. And so we open our ears to you, Holy Spirit. We open our minds to you. We open our hearts. And we say, come. Come reveal truth and beauty and goodness to us tonight. Amen. You know, here um, at Central, our our goal whenever we are together um, is not to just learn more stuff. Um, I really don't think that's the the outcome of preaching. Should not be that, oh, I've learnt something new. Um, that I didn't know before, but it's more that it would challenge us to live more faithfully to the way of Jesus. Um, And that's what I'm hoping that we'll do together tonight because as as I've been preparing this, I've certainly been challenged to live more faithfully um, to how Jesus would have me live. So we're going to dive right into the passage, which is in Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to be looking specifically at verses 21 to 23. Um, And Oren, I might get you to read them out. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly I never knew you away from me you evildoers don't yell that last bit (laughs) this is an encouraging passage isn't it 
And you think, oh, we're going to come and uh, be really encouraged by, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. Um, these are strong words of Jesus in, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And um, we're going to be talking through them a little bit to just maybe unpack what God might have to say to us. So um, we're going to do that in a few different ways. I'm going to share some of my thoughts and then we'll have some time where you're talking with the people around you because I think that's always um, helpful um, in unpacking scripture. Um, it's always good to, just, to, to not just hear one person's perspective on it. Um, how are we going with the, with the sound? <laughs> I'm happy to just keep talking until we figure it out. Anyway, can we, anyway. All right. So, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. To start off with, I want to point out two things that I think Jesus is doing in this passage in regards to time. Because as we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, you would have heard me say this many, many times. Whenever we're looking at some of these scriptures, I haven't wanted us to have the lens of um, looking at the words that Jesus has been saying as if he's talking about eternal life, life after death, life in the age to come. Sometimes when Jesus talks, he's talking about that. Most of the time when Jesus talks, he's talking about the here and now, of what matters here and now. But so often in our thinking, we kind of like push everything into some kind of afterlife perspective. But as we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, I've wanted to anchor us, anchor us into, into what does this say for us here and now? Not just like, what's going to happen to me when I die, but like, how do the words of Jesus really challenge how I live today? So there are two things I think Jesus is doing with time in this passage. The first one is when he says to me, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. When I hear Jesus say those words, enter the kingdom of heaven, I don't think he's in that instance talking about life after death. I think he's talking about how we enter the kingdom here and now. Okay, the reason I say that is because over and over and over again in the, the writings and the teachings of Jesus, he says things like this, the kingdom of heaven is within you. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is among you. When he talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's not just thrown out into the afterlife like that over there somewhere somehow that's the kingdom of heaven but he actually talks about it as a reality that we can engage with and enter in now so I think when I hear those words in this passage not everyone who says to me lord lord or another translation of that would be master master not everyone who says those words enter the kingdom of heaven as in not Everyone who just says, Lord, Lord, gets the kingdom. They don't necessarily, just because they can say, Lord, Lord, or Master, Master, that doesn't mean they're living in the way of the kingdom that is here and now within us, among us, and moving through us. So we can say things with our lips without living them with our lives. And I think Jesus, when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, I 
feel like in that sense he's talking about entering the way now. Okay? But then he goes on in verse 22 where he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And that phrase, on that day, I think in that instance, Jesus is referring to what is present throughout much of our New Testament scriptures about the coming day, which will be a day of judgment. It will be a day of reckoning. It will be a day when the light and the love of Jesus is revealed, where we will have to take account or make account for how we've lived our life. So I think Jesus is doing two things with time in this passage. I think when he talks about entering the kingdom of heaven, I think he's talking about the here and now. But also when he says on that day, I think he is referring to the coming day when the acts of our lives will be judged. And in nearly every instances of the New Testament talking about that day, it is always saying that it is our actions that will be judged on that day. Not, not who we are, not who we are as children of God, not who we are as the beloved, but in fact what we do will actually be brought under the microscope of the love of God, so to speak, on that day. That's, you know, when you, when you see the passages on the sheep and the goats, it's not that sheep are really brilliant and goats are bad. For everyone who loves goat's cheese, that just doesn't weigh up, does it? I mean, goats are great. Jesus is referring to the actions of sheep and goats, which aren't actually really sheep and goats. But it's, it's, it's the things we do that will be judged. And again, in 1 Corinthians 3, when Paul is writing... He talks about that day of judgment being like the day through which everything in this life that we have built will pass through the fire, which in my mind is the fire of God's perfect love. And everything that has not been built with love will be burned up. And Paul writes that there will be, you know, gold, silver and precious stones that pass through the fire and come out the other side and it's all good. Um, but there also might be wood, hay and straw that gets burnt up. So it's not just about you're made of wood, hay or straw and you're going to get burnt up on the day of judgment. No, it's the things that we do with our lives that might be tested by the love of God. And if anyone is just like twitching because it sounds like I'm talking about works, just keep twitching away because I'm not really sure you can get around the fact that Jesus really challenges us that we ought to be living lives that produce the fruit of the kingdom. Uh, we are not saved by our works, but the things that we do are the overflow and the demonstration of our following, of our discipleship. So I'm not saying Jesus is saying, you know, you're in or you're out based on your, the works that you do. That's not what I'm saying. But he is saying there is some kind of day when how we build and what we build is going to be judged by fire. And Jesus doesn't mince his words about how that's going to happen. So I think Jesus is doing two things with time here. He's talking about the way we can enter now and he's talking about the outcome of how we live our lives that will, on that day, be reckoned with. Now, the things that Jesus seems to um, have a go at 
prophesying, driving out demons and performing many miracles makes it look like Jesus is just having a fair happy go with the charismatics. Don't you think? Like, oh, these are very like, did he know that the you know, charismatic church was going to come along? And then, uh, I actually don't think that Jesus is just picking on the charismatics. Um, I think he's being provocative and he's listing some of the more radical expressions of the overflow of God's kingdom. I think, and this is just me, I think, that we could safely say that any outward act of gifting or righteousness could be placed in that list. Even though Jesus sort of seems to list prophecy, exorcisms and miracles. Because I don't know about you, but if you're sitting there thinking, sweet, I'm off the hook. I haven't prophesied lately, haven't cast out any demons, haven't done any great miracles, so this doesn't apply to me. Like, we could, you know, we can, re- we, if, we, if that's the way we read the words of Jesus so that we can actually get around looking at our hearts, then uh, we're just a little bit sneaky. But I don't think Jesus is saying only these things we need to consider. But I actually think that anything, any outward expression of gifting and righteousness has to come under the microscope here. And so that might mean, Lord, Lord, didn't I just sing loudly in worship every week? Lord, Lord, I led worship on stage in front of thousands. Lord, Lord, I evangelized the masses. Lord, Lord, I served the poor. Lord, Lord, I showed up at church every week and I even gave 10% of my income to the church. Lord, Lord, I never smoked a cigarette. I never had a, alcohol never touched my lips and I've never danced before in my life. Like we, whatever, I don't know, whatever your measure of outward expression of righteousness is, I think that has to come under the microscope. Lord, Lord, did we not organize events for you? Are you not pleased with our organizing skills and our events? Lord, Lord, did we not study theology diligently so we could be certain of what we knew so that we could speak it out with certainty in every moment that we had? Lord, Lord, did we not do these things? So I see Jesus sort of saying prophecy, demon casting and miracles. But I want to challenge us to be willing to place under the microscope any outward act of righteousness that we might do in order to be tested by Jesus. And so Jesus is challenging us yet again, like he has before in this Sermon on the Mount, about our outward acts. And in specifically, I guess, these outward acts are attached to gifting. You know, there are people gifted in prophecy. There are people gifted in driving out demons. There are people gifted with miracles. There are people gifted to preach and evangelize and sing and lead worship and organize and care. There's all kinds of giftings. But are we elevating the gifting or are we elevating the will of the Father? And so in this passage, Jesus says, only those who do the will of the Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom. So this is what I want you to do now. I want you to talk to the people around you because this is the question. Well, can you be more specific, Jesus? What is the will of the Father? Like, I want you to talk to the people around you. If you could distill down into one sentence at the most, what is the will of the Father? What is Jesus driving at here? What is he saying is the will of the Father? 
how do we enter by doing the will of the Father? Have a chat and see what you come up with. What is the will of the Father? If only those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven, what's the will of the Father? It's kind of important. Anyone got any ideas? And a, yeah, I've said a sentence. What was that? No, the, are there's, what are you going to share? Yeah, to love one another. To love one another. To love God. To love God and love one another. Anyone want to up the ante on that? That's what you said. Love, love God as we love ourselves. I think we had the exact same thing, but we added that like, it was like the will of the Father is to reveal the kingdom, but how you reveal the kingdom is to love God and love others. It's nuanced. I like it. <laughs> I think, yep. We didn't come up with one sentence, but we were talking about how it's to do with our perspective or attitude to things, and so living out our worship of God. It's great. Anyone else want to add anything? No? I Show mercy, love justice, walk humbly with our God. Yeah. I think there's lots of ways that you can kind of, different places in scripture where we see, you know, the will of God boiled down to some good things. But I don't think, I think the best expression of being able to boil down the will of the Father is to say that the will of the Father is love. To love him and to love others as we love ourselves. And, you know, if we, if we were to keep reading the teachings of Jesus, we wouldn't have to go very far before he's saying things like, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. When we enter the, you know, the, the teachings of John in, in the book of 1 John, we see love repeated over and over and over again. I think if we could boil down what is the will of the Father, it's to love. Um, simple answer, complex event or complex lifestyle to know what it is to love. But I think that that is how I would say that to, to, to do the will of the Father is to follow the way of love. Now what I want to do is I want to read that same passage again that we are looking at, but I want to read it. I want to read the bit before it to set it in context because those two bits actually go together, even though we've preached them separately. Because it's going to help us drive down into how this all works. So, looking at Matthew chapter seven and coming from verse fifteen, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your, their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, which we've agreed is love, to love God and to love one another. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And when we look at that in context with the passage before it, I see Jesus driving something deeper and deeper and deeper into our lives. In that first bit, Jesus is saying, look, there's going to be false prophets that come among you, people who try to tell you different things about me, people who try to get you to live a different way, people who get you to try to focus on a different thing than my teaching. How are you going to know if someone is a false prophet or a true prophet? And Jesus' answer is, you'll know by their fruit. If you look at their life and the fruit of their life, over time you'll be able to tell if someone is good or if someone isn't good. But then he drives it deeper by perhaps picking out those very fruitful things that we like to look at and then saying, you might look at the fruit and think the fruit is good. But even that, might not be okay in the kingdom. Because what, what looks like good fruit? Miracles, prophecies, demons leaving, people giving their lives to Jesus. Like you name what is the, ev like the visual evidence of good fruit that we would call in our, in our churches, in our lives. And all of a sudden Jesus is even putting that under the microscope and saying you can't even trust, trust that. How do you know what good fruit is? You look at the fruit of people's lives, but you can't just look at the fruit of people's lives because you don't know what is the inner motivation behind it. So how do we know what is the inner motivation behind the fruit in someone's life? We don't because we are not to judge and we do not know. And only God knows what comes from within. So we have to be very careful, I think Jesus is saying, to make or ascribe esteem or to judge people by the fruit of their lives. Now he's not saying dismiss the fruit, but I think he is saying be careful because even people can prophesy and drive out demons and do many miracles and not have love. But it's very hard to tell. And we can't tell. I um, often think that those things that are listed there, they're kind of like the sexy fruit of Christian living, aren't they? Like, you know, that's the cool stuff. It's the, it's the top shelf, you know. And it's, a funny, it's funny being a minister because you spend time with other ministers and they ask you this wonderful question. So how's your church going? Which is, you know, I mean, like, I presume people in other professions do that too. Eloise, fellow lawyers say, how's your law going? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> kind of. But, you know, like, it's a common question. And when you haven't seen... And I always find it really hard and funny to answer that question. Because I always try to answer that question unsexily. Um, <laughs> to prove a point. So I often think what people are wanting me to say is, oh my goodness, you should have been there on Sunday because 10 people fell over and someone's leg got healed. You know, like they're wanting, you know, that's what they're, well, maybe I don't know what they're wanting to hear, but that's what, you know, would be fun to say 
But I often answer questions. I, I remember one guy coming to me. I hadn't seen him for a long time. And he said, oh, Gary, Gary, how's the church going? And I was like, oh, you know, chugging along. I was like, some people are doing really good. Some people are doing really crap. And all in all, we're just trying to figure out how we love one another in the midst of it all. And then he goes, you are so funny. And I'm like, am, am I? I didn't think that was funny. I thought that was a really good answer. Like, I thought that was like, that was cool. I had another instance. I was around the corner and I was meeting a minister for the first time and he told me a lot about his church. Um, and then he asked me about us. And so I said, oh, you know, we're just a fairly ordinary bunch of people trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And many of us, you know, have questions and have doubts and are trying to figure out some deeper things. And some of us have come from other churches and we're not even sure if we like church anymore. We're trying to find community together and figure out who Jesus is and how we, we love one another in the way of Jesus. And you know what his answer to me was? He was like, oh my God, that sounds awful. And I was like, oh, I actually thought that sounded great like but I think because people want you to say the sexy fruit stuff because to say actually we're doing the hard work of what it looks like to love one another when sometimes we don't like one another that's not the sexy fruit of healings and miracles and driving out demons but some part of me thinks it is the fruit of the kingdom it's the way of love and it's messy and, and, and it's not always easy and it's how do we bear with one another in love? How do we be vulnerable with each other's stuff and how do we hold each other tenderly? How do we sit with each other in our pain while also being able to hold out the hope that God is good and that transformation takes place? How do we meet one another in those dark places as well as shine a light? That's a tension that we walk as a community. How do we welcome people's questions and doubts and wrestles and dark nights of the soul along with championing the faith of miracles and the good things that take place and that healing is real? Like, they're the things that we wrestle and work with together and we're held by the bonds of love as we do that. But it's hard and it's not very sexy and it doesn't always look good. And I think some of what I read in what Jesus is saying is poking at that very thing in our culture, our culture, the culture that Jesus walked around in where the miraculous and the outward and the sexy things were celebrated and held up as that must be God. Of course, it probably is God. But Jesus is saying there's something even deeper than these things because you can prophesy over someone and not love them and miss the kingdom. And you can pray for healing and see someone healed but not love them. And God is gracious but you'll miss the kingdom. You can drive out demons and not have love. It's Paul's beautiful writing. If we do all these things and not have love, we're just a clanging symbol. It's love, loving God deeply, loving one another, that is the great challenge of the way of Jesus that very rarely expresses itself in easy testimonies, in sexy stories, or in evidence that you can see with your eyes in a moment. To love one another is the slow-growing fruit 
of faithfulness to Jesus and to God as we follow. And I think it is possible to do all those things, to, to evangelize, to sing loudly, to organize events, to get your theology right, to perform miracles. You can do all of that and not love. And maybe if that's the way we live on that day, when not our worth, but our acts are brought under the scrutiny of the love of God. Maybe in that moment, if we have lived without loving, much will be burnt. It's challenging, isn't it? Jesus will say, I never knew you. And here's the thing, only you can know what is deepest within you in your heart. Only you can know when you lay hands and pray for that person next to you whether you're motivated by love or whether there's something else inside of you. Only you know that those outward things you do, those outward acts of righteousness are motivated by love of God and love of each other. Only you can know that. We are not to judge one another. Jesus knows and, and we know. That's where I think Jesus is driving us deeper into our own hearts, asking the Holy Spirit to, to reveal truth to us. You know, search me, O oh God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Search me, O oh God. See if there is anything coming out of me that's not motivated by love. So here's the next question I want to ask you. What else motivates us to do things if not love? I want us to name it because I think we need to name the motivation. And I'm not talking about what motivates you to go to work if not love. I mean, maybe you love your job. I'm talking about the things in the spiritual life, the, the praying, the service, the evangelism, the healings. Like what, is, what could possibly motivate us if not love? Have a really quick chat with the person next to you. Let's come up with a list because I think it's going to help us ask ourselves the hard question of like, what am I being motivated by? Okay. If not love, if not love, what are those inner drivers, those inner motivations that, that might cause us to do the right thing but with the wrong heart? Uncomfortability, because what we do is we get so comfortable by what we know, so we can't change. And God can't work with us when we're comfortable. It's when we're uncomfortable and we're broken, we can just let go and let God, really. Okay, so we could be, like, motivated by staying comfortable. Yeah. Les, you had a good one. Yes, approval, which is on the love spectrum. And one of the things that I really like is the third step prayer and the 12-step movement. And it starts like this, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. And this next line is the mantra that I use. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. It goes on, take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. But certainly, relieve me of the bondage of self, take me and my motivations out of the picture so I can do your will. That's good. And let's start off by saying like that need for approval. Whether it's approval from God, 
approval from those around us when we look like we're doing the right thing, that can be an inner motivation for doing what looks like the right thing but isn't coming out of a heart of love. Anyone else come up with anything? Oh, Jessamy. We said fear and guilt and those kind of ones, pride. I don't know, we were good at this one. <laughs> guilt, fear and pride. Just like the, that's, that's like challenging stuff. Yeah, we spoke of a few, but one was like uh, feeling like a sense of duty, like I should do this, like God would expect this of me. So, yeah, a sense of duty or works. It's true. Maybe this is similar to approval, but to have value, like doing something to, so that you can have more value in the community or in a relationship. Anyone else have? Chris? Um, to resist being still. I think that can happen. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you go on. To resist being still. Like to be busy. We feel good about ourselves if we're busy doing things rather than maybe knowing our own worth in our own stillness. Oof. Oh, yeah, Kev. I think it has to do with like approval and, and maybe like just the expectation of something to do. But like for me, I think of like, but not so much that God would expect it, but maybe like the body, like the church. So it's kind of like maybe a spirit of religion type thing. But like you can sometimes when you start to go to church, you see what people do and maybe, maybe it's not something that's actually said to you, but you start to perceive that this is what's expected and so then therefore you start to follow suit. And part of that is good because it's learning, but part of it can be maybe negative because you're, you're going in a direction that maybe you weren't really meant to go in or I don't know, it can kind of lead down that path. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? I mean, this is the deep stuff, isn't it? Like naming, if we're not motivated by love, what are we motivated by? Fear. Approval, being busy, pride that people would look at us and think, wow, they're so spiritual. <laughs> we can be motivated by applause, like needing other people's like affirmation. Like this is like the, the deepest stuff of discipleship, isn't it? It's like, come, like Jesus says, follow me. And we go, yes, and then he kind of goes, and I want your heart and all of you as well. And we're like, Ee! that's why we've, it's a lifelong pursuit of following Jesus because allowing him into some of these places to heal us with his own love so that our needs and motivations are healed by, by the love of God in order that the love of God overflows out of our lives is a lifelong thing. I think it's possible to do many things in the name of Jesus and not have love. And I think the challenge that Jesus is driving at here is that only you know in your own life if those outward expressions of your righteousness are motivated by love for God and love for others or, or if they're coming out of another need in you. I think for us at Central here, um, 
that going deeper as a church, being more faithful to Jesus, being more faithful to one another, means regularly, every day, practicing what it looks like to love one another and to pay attention to our motivations as we love. Because it's as we love that we're restored by love, I think. If we're like, okay, yeah, yep, yep, I'm not going to prophesy or pray for a miracle or you know, exercise a demon until I know my motivations are right, then we will be like waiting for a heck of a long time. I think the process is, no, let the overflow of the kingdom come out of your life and pay attention to your motivation as you're doing it. And as you're living in the spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to search you, he will reveal to you the intricacies of your own motivation. And he will take you on a journey where in his gentleness and his timing, he will go deeper into the place of love in your life. And he will heal all the wounds of love that you might have in order that you can love faithfully. I really believe that, that love is the key to entering the kingdom and to knowing God. And everything else is fireworks. Sometimes the fireworks are amazing and we need them. But I think underneath all of that has to be the bedrock of love, of faithful, everyday, ordinary, unsexy, unseen, slow you down, faithful love for one another and love for God. And I do think that this is what Jesus is challenging us with when we look at this verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is what I think is one of the most amazing things about the love and the grace and the faithfulness of God to us is that even in our murky and messy motivations, he uses what we bring in order to gift others with the fruit of his kingdom. He doesn't withhold his grace. He doesn't withhold his healing. He doesn't withhold his miracles just because we have an incomplete, immature heart. He moves through us. That's grace. And along the way, as he moves through us, we hear the call. I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to love you. I don't want you to just do the things for me. I want relationship with you based in love. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to us in this. So just as we finish, I want to give you a time to just maybe take what we've been talking about this afternoon and bring it down to your reality. Because it's all well and good to sort of talk about love is the way, and love for the Lord, and love for one another. And we think, yes, champion the way of love. And then like, we never actually consider what does that look like in my life. And, and so I want to give us all the time to just sit with Jesus, ask Jesus to search us, and show us if in the past week, there was anything we did that wasn't motivated by love. So I'm going to lead you in a time when you can do that. Jesus might show you nothing and you'll be, be like, sweet, that's fine. Or he might just bring to mind an interaction 
you had with someone. It might have been at work, it might have been at home, it might have been on the road, it might have been in the grocery store, where it wasn't love that was your motivation. And then I'm just going to let you say sorry to, to God and ask him to bring his love deeper into your life. So can we do that just to finish? So just make yourself comfortable. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. We know you are here. You are among us. You reveal Jesus to us, but we want to open our lives to you and to say, Holy Spirit, would you search us? So just reflect on this past week that you've had. And I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's anything he wants to say to you about any interaction you had that didn't come out of love. This is not an exercise of scrutinizing every detail, but just of letting the Holy Spirit speak to us. And if nothing came to mind for you, then that's great. But if there was a time or a person or an interaction that you had that that the Holy Spirit revealed to you. I just want you to sit with that and I want you to ask Jesus to come and fill you with his love. And I want you to ask Jesus to give you a picture of what his love for you looks like in that moment, in that moment when your motivation wasn't great. And I want you to hear these words that Jesus would say to you and he would say you cannot earn my love and you cannot lose my love but I deeply love you as you are in this moment and I just want you to ask Jesus to fill you up with that love And I want you to ask him to drive his love deeper down into the core of who you are, past every other motivation, past all fear, past all pride, past all need for approval and applause, past guilt, fear, shame, that he would bring his love deeper into your very being, that more and more and more you would overflow with love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in striving or trying, but in abundance and overflow. Jesus, would you help us to love one another? Would you help us to know what it looks like to be faithful to following the will of the Father? Faithful to loving God, faithful to loving one another, would you help us in our ordinary, everyday lives? Would you help us as a community, God, to keep embodying love? And look, Jesus, let the sexy things come. May we prophesy and seek miracles and have faith for healings and transformations. 
and let all of that come out of our love for one another and our love for you. And we just allow you, Holy Spirit, to lead us in this. Amen. We'll bless you as you go out. Go in the way of love. Go with the challenge to love those who are difficult to love as well as those who are easy to love. Go with the power of the Holy Spirit in you to love those you like and love those that you don't like. And may every evening as you go to sleep this week, may you feel the love of God building in your heart and that as you wake in every moment, every morning, you would overflow with his love for those around you. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Have a fantastic week. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. (laughs) 